And in her letter to the nation making the case for her withdrawal deal the e from the EU, Theresa May says the following about immigration. We will take back control of our borders by putting an end to the free movement of people once and for all. Instead of an immigration system based on where a person comes from, we will build one based on the skills and talents a person has to offer. And we are told this morning that the Migration White Paper, the document setting out in proper detail what the government wants to do, is finally going to be published, possibly in the next few days, and will include a requirement that skilled migrants from the EU have a job, job offer and earn at least £30,000 a year uh, in return for a five-year visa. And that's basically the same salary threshold that applies to non-EU migrants. Low-skilled people could still come, but possibly only for a year or for just under a year. And that is for an, a reason that is important we'll get to in a few moments' time. We've been speaking, though, to representatives from three sectors about their concern about what we understand to be the plans. I'm Mike Padgham. I currently own three care homes and I also represent a number of colleagues in the sector that provide care in care homes and also care in people's own homes. If this cap the government's talking about is implemented, uh, we're, not, we're going to find that we won't have enough staff to look after people in the future because those uh, people needing care is going up vastly in the next few years. The number of people that we employ in the sector is shrinking and without workers from overseas, what do we do? I have a fear that it could affect the country's economy as a whole because people have to give up work to look after their mum or dad or close relatives if we haven't got the care staff. Technology can't do it. It needs human beings. Where are they coming from? That's a big problem. Many from overseas and no one earning anywhere near £30,000 a year. I'm Dr Holly Chandler. I work as a senior policy analyst at the Russell Group, which represents 24 research-intensive universities across the UK. One recommendation from the Migration Advisory Committee is to lower the skills threshold. However, they have also said that the salary threshold should stay the same. And I think it's important to consider the kind of the practical implications of implementing that proposal because one example in our sector where that would be problematic is technicians. So technicians work in our universities and they're really important to support and sometimes carry out research that's happening in those universities. And many of those staff are paid below £30,000. So we wouldn't be able to recruit technicians from the EU if those proposals were implemented. I'm Stephen Woodford. I'm Chief Executive of the Advertising Association. The UK is the world's leading hub for advertising. And it is that because we attract the world's brightest and best and a lot of that talent is young, and a lot of it will be working uh, under that £30,000 threshold. So it's one of those arbitrary numbers that actually makes no sense economically, certainly from the point of view of the advertising industry. And if that does become part of the policy, it just makes life more difficult for what is a great export-winning uh, business. And our membership and our industry just do not see the sense in doing that. Right, there we are. Three voices uh, about what the government appears to be planning. Let's talk now to Madeline Sumption, who's Director of the Migration Observatory at Oxford University and is uh, on the line, to Jonathan Portis, Professor of Economics at uh, King's College London, who's here, and Alf Maymet uh, as well, who's Vice Chair of uh, Migration Watch UK, which campaigns for limits on immigration. Morning to you all. <coughs> Madeline Sumption, if I can start by you, because you were involved. You're not speaking today as part of the Migration Advisory Committee, but you were involved, weren't you? You, you, you were involved as an advisor. What, what has the government been grappling with? 
So the government has said that they would like to end free movement. Um, we, we don't know exactly what they're going to say in their white paper. But the key, I think probably the single biggest question that they're grappling with is what to do about the demand for people coming into low-wage jobs in the UK. Now, EU citizens have been able to come to the UK and do uh, any kind of work at all, whether that's hotels and restaurants, social care, working in universities or in banking and finance. Um, if that comes to an end, um, then essentially um, it means means that there may be some industries uh, in particular who pay, you know, where the workers are paid less, who um, aren't eligible to sponsor workers at all. And then across all of the industries, there's a question of, um, of bureaucracy. So if you have to apply for a visa, then the employer has to be willing to go through a process that they haven't had to do for EU citizens, where it's been very easy to hire people. Um, so, um, so one of the suggestions, uh, certainly it was reported by The Telegraph a couple of weeks ago, it was that one of the ways around that was to have temporary visas would, would, would be to have people in who were here for a year or just under a year so they didn't count in the figures and they could do that work and there would be no uh, uh, salary stipulation for them. Is, is that feasible, do you think? Well, it depends what you're... Goal. I had one of the interesting things. I mean, I, I don't know if this is, you know, how seriously this is something government's considering. If the goal is to reduce the number of people who are counted as long-term migrants in the net migration statistics, it actually might not have that impact because the net migration statistics are based on people's intentions. And if they get an 11-month visa, when they get when they're surveyed at the border, they might actually just say, "I'm coming for a year," and then they'd be counted anyway in the statistics. Mm. Um, of course, you know, in addition to that, there is there there are costs and benefits to temporary migration. It helps to satisfy employer demand in the short run. Um, but in the long run, if you have a lot of people um, coming in for a short period, you're looking kind of more churn, more kind of comings and goings, which is not necessarily very yeah. good for communities. Well, uh, for communities and Jonathan Porter's potentially for businesses. Um, that's right. I mean, I think you can see that a, a temporary worker scheme might work for some industries. Agriculture is the most obvious. But the idea that this will work well for social care, for universities, for this whole host of other industries that employ people who frankly are not low skilled. They may earn less than £30,000, but they have skills and qualifications and they're doing jobs that that, that promote, uh, that they're good for the economy. The idea that it will work for employers in those industries, I think, is is is, is clearly misplaced. And as Madeline says, it looks like a, a rather cack-handed and possibly not even terribly credible way to massage the statistics. Out Mehmet, what is your solution to the problem of many, as Jonathan Porter says, not necessarily low-skilled people, but people who aren't earning very much in care homes, in university, uh, uh, um, science labs, right around the country, who would be affected by this and those who employ them would be affected by this? Well... Looking at care homes, for example, the problems there, as the Migration Advisory Committee itself has said, are systemic. It's more about the conditions and the poor pay than the fact that they can't attract um, Brits to, to work. And, and frankly, what is unattractive to a British worker is also unattractive to a migrant. And in the end, they just will not be able to retain them unless they think seriously about uh, improving the conditions. And, and there so, are plenty so of... Hang just, to just, just, sorry to interrupt, just to be clear about that, you're, you're saying, for instance, in care homes, we could replace people with indigenous people, with people who, who, who lived here all their, their lives, if we just paid them more. 
that's part of it. And, and the conditions, as anyone who's had any dealings, not with just care homes, but carers who go to uh, look after old people. My mother has a carer who comes in three, four times a day, and they're excellent. But they look after them. The company that employs them looks after these people. There are four million people in this country who are either unemployed or looking for extra work. If you paid enough, if you improved conditions, if you looked at the sort of arrangements for working, then you would attract many, many of these people as Jonathan well. Jonathan Porter? Um, I have some sympathy with Alp on this one, actually. If the government were prepared to put up taxes and put an extra five or ten billion pounds a year into the care system, um, then some of these problems would certainly be addressed. Um, but I think that's simply not going to happen uh, because the government is not pursuing that policy. Um, and if you know, what um, the, if if we go down the road suggested by Alp and and, and the uh, um, the government as it now stands, they're essentially saying to people who have um, a, you know a, a parent in a care home at the moment, yeah, you know, um, you, you're just going to have to live with the fact that you get. Um, fewer staff, worse services and the rest of it, because it, we're not going to put in that extra Is, is that Madeleine's assumption, is that understood in government, that trade-off, as it were? Yeah, I think this is actually a very good illustration of the fact that your choices in immigration policy are never just a kind of single search for um, the magic right answer about immigration. It's a, it, it depends on how you trade off different, you know, how you balance um, different priorities. And I think here, there really just is a straight choice. You can rely on migration to fill these jobs that are very badly paid and quite difficult, or you can decide to fund the system more. And um, obviously, both of those have political complications. And out looking at the other end of the scale, as it were, the above 30,000, you're saying to businesses, provided they get enough uh, uh, warning, then they should be able to cope. In fact, it might presumably offer up more opportunities. To well, what, what I hope the white paper looks at is how we encourage employers actually to train more people who are already here, to encourage them rather than to go for what is often the cheaper option, frankly, and that's why they do it, to look to see how they can um, train the sort of people that they've already got working for them or indeed attract young people to train whatever the sector. And that simply isn't happening at the moment. It hasn't been for many years. Again, Jonathan Porter. Um, well, the Migration Advisory Committee looked at this. It commissioned research, one piece from me and one by from another economist, and we found no evidence that the availability of skill of migrant workers had reduced the capacity or the inclination of British industries to change. And I think what Alp is missing here is that there, this is not a question of, of substitution, the idea that there's just a limited number of jobs and if we don't have migrants, then we'll have Brits. In fact, as you heard from the advertising industry, as you heard from the, uh, the university sector, these are great British success stories. They work both for the British people who work in them and for people who come from elsewhere. And those things go together. They are not a substitute. My sector, my, my university benefits, I benefit from being in both competition and cooperation. Do you accept, Al, that that one of the things that would happen if we have less immigration right across the board is we would have a a smaller GDP, we would be poorer? No, the two things don't necessarily follow. We don't, uh, if we have a smaller GDP, you're not actually saying that we're all going to be poorer. What you're saying is that there will be more to share around. 
um, if there are fewer migrants coming in, adding to the population, then clearly productivity is going to improve <laughs> and the cake is going to go further. I, I suspect uh, you and Jonathan Portis won't agree about this. A quick word, right, Jonathan Portis. Right. Well, both the government's own... Uh, analysis of Brexit and my analysis published two weeks ago show that migration boosts GD- both GDP and GDP per capita. It does make the economy bigger, but it also makes us richer as individuals. So Alpha is quite wrong here. Reducing migration will indeed we make will, us we poorer. Will return to this when they publish their <laughs> figures out there. Jonathan Porter's Madeline Sumption as well. Thanks all very much.